So today's message is called an important letter. You have received an important letter. Has anyone received an important letter? How do you know it's important? What's the difference between an important letter and a bill letter? The bill letters always look the same and it's, and it's always the same. It's the same color envelope. Everyone know what you mean? You know? But have you received an important letter? A letter that you're expecting? This letter that I'm about to read to you today is kind of one of those letters. It's like an important letter. And it's that important that if you never knew anything else about the Bible, if you never knew Abraham and the covenant that God had given him, if you never knew about Jacob's well, if you never knew about Jacob's ladder, if you never knew anything about Genesis and the Garden of Eden, if you never knew about angels of Gabriel and warring in the heavens on Daniel's behalf, if you never read anything in the Old Testament, you could still be profound in your walk with Jesus with this one letter letter. This one letter can keep you alive and sustain you and keep you in the fullness of everything God has got for you. Just this one letter. Well, if that's true, why do we need the rest? I'm talking hypothetically. If you never knew the rest, this one letter would still deliver. If you didn't know all the amazing Bible knowledge about the temple and what the, uh, uh, the, the temple items all speak of pointing to Christ. If you didn't know anything, but this letter would still put you ahead of everyone else. This letter has got so much in here that it actually can help you to actually still be the child of God you're called to be. So which letter am I talking about? The letter to the church at Ephesus. It's called the Ephesians. Amen. It's called Ephesians. This letter talks about your position. This letter talks about your walk. And this letter talks about your stance. And that's why this letter can help you no matter what's going on. If it helped them in the, 20, in the first century, I guarantee this letter would help you in the 21st century. So I'm saying it because sometimes we're so quick to run around. I'll have a little bit here, a little bit there, a little bit this. We are the social media generation. We're the TikTok generation. We are consuming small bits of information consistently, constantly. We have a little bit of knowledge on this, a little bit of perspective on this. We have a little picture of this, a little movie clip of this. We have this, this, this. But at the end of the day, lots and lots of little things doesn't build the strength and the depth and the substance into you. You don't grow trees overnight. Great trees take centuries. Which one do you want? The one from Ikea? But sometimes I think people will settle for an Ikea life instead of the centuries life. Could you do something today that might take centuries to to show up? Could you build something today that could endure for centuries? Or are you just building an Ikea church? Thank you for that amazing response. And I'm not saying anything negative against, I'm just saying we've got into this mentality in our generation where everything's temporary, everything's for now, everything needs to be immediate, and we forgot the way God works. He's in no rush. God doesn't even live in time. Time doesn't exist to God. He lives at the beginning and he already lives at the end. You and I are in the construct of time. And so we've got to understand this letter 
helps us to function in the fullness of God in what he has for us. If you'll follow along with me, I'll give you some insights into what it does and how it can help us. Is that okay? So this letter was written by the Apostle Paul. He wrote it from Rome. He was in house confinement, a place what was considered like a prison. Probably a nice prison. It probably didn't lack any major... He probably had some level of comfort. But the point is, is that he wrote this letter somewhere about 10 to 12 to 14 years into the life of this church at Ephesus. We are 14 years old as a church. And I wonder if, if we were having someone who started the church would write a letter. Like if me and Joyce started this church and then we left after a couple of months, I wonder if we were to write a letter in 14 years. And that's what's going on here. He writes a letter because he's hearing about what God's doing with them. And so... We know that because in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1, it tells you the location from where he's writing it. But this is how it starts, Ephesians 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus, so already locates the audience, who are faithful in Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So again, he's basically saying, this is from me to you. And yet this letter would have gone out into other churches, local churches in that region around Ephesus. So I want you to know that we are still reading this letter even today. But I wonder what impact it's having on our lives if we were to look at the impact it had on their lives. So the first prayer is really interesting. And I want to highlight this because the first prayer has got so much that can speak into our lives today. So let me say this. Before I read this prayer, Paul's prayer for the church, it's found in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15. So it's quite early into the letter. He says, this is my prayer for you. Now, I don't know if you had anyone pray for you before. Has anyone had anyone pray? Have you had anyone pray for you? And as they started to pray, it kind of like sounded a little bit weird, a little bit strange. Like, for example, like, Someone's praying for me, for example, like just coming alongside, I'd like to pray for you, Pastor Mark. And then it starts like this. Lord, help Pastor Mark. Lord, he's got lots of problems, but we know you can help him, Lord. Now, I'm like hearing this prayer going, do I want to stay in this prayer? I think I'll stay in to find out all these problems. But what I'm trying to say is, and you might laugh, but trust me, I've had some interesting prayers over the years where I've had to stop the prayer. Say, thank you very much. God bless. Because I don't want rubbish prayed over my life. You've got to be careful who prays over your life. People can put unpleasant things over your life with the words that they speak. Amen. You've got to learn to know what's a good prayer and what's a bad prayer. Amen. And a good prayer is speak the word of God over people's lives in Jesus' name. Speak blessing and calling and speak what God has done and, and, and speak from what is, not what isn't in Jesus' name. Speak the answer, not the problem. Amen. And that's what you've got to learn. So I'm just saying that this prayer that Paul prays is that kind of prayer. It's like, I want that prayer for my life. And not just I want it for my life. It's the kind of prayer I would love to pray for others. What kind of prayer are you going to pray over your kids? What kind of prayer are you going to pray over the babies when we dedicate them to the Lord? 
You want powerful prayers. You want prayers of faith in Jesus' name. Prayers of hope and love and meaning and purpose. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans of good, not to harm you, but to prosper you, energize you, move you forward in Jesus' name. To open doors for you in Jesus' name. To provide new symbols for the drum set that you love playing, amen. I know that God is always wanting to speak into our present, but He's also speaking us to our future. And so when you talk about prayers, they've got to have something of substance. Is there any substance in your prayers? Lightweight prayers don't cut it. And this is what Paul says to me. He says, I want to pray for you. And this became a model of prayer for the churches that has continued for centuries. So let me read it to you. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15 to 20. It's on the screen. This is what I always remember. This is why I always remember you in my prayers. And thank God for you. I have done this ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all of God's people. I always pray to the great and glorious Father, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ. I pray that he will give you the Spirit who will let you know truths about God and and help you to understand them so that you will know him better. I pray that God will open your minds to see his truth and then you will know the hope which he has called us to have. You will know the blessings God has promised his holy people that they are rich and glorious. Verse 19, and you will know that God's power is very great for us who believe. It is the same as the mighty power he used to raise Christ from the dead and put him at his right side in heavenly places. The same power that raised Christ from the dead. Paul says, I pray that you know that kind of power. Resurrection power. God can take something dead and bring it to life. Something that doesn't exist and now it exists. Do you know that kind of power? Are you just so addicted to your Instagram account? Sometimes you've got to put some things away for the things that actually are going to pull you into the realm that God has already called you to. The most potent generation could possibly be recorded as the most distracted generation. I was almost there. I was so close. Apart from, no, 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 no. I was so close. I was there. (laughs) I was right at the center of what God is doing. Amen. I made choices to say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Amen. God is doing a new thing in all the generations. He never old. He's always new. So let's have a look at the prayer of Paul towards this church. People like you and I. And maybe, why don't we just take this prayer for our prayer and just say, that's the kind of prayer I'm taking for my life. It's the kind of prayer I'm going to pray over my family. It's the kind of prayer I'm going to pray over the young people. It's the kind of prayer I'm going to pray over the next generation. It's the kind of prayer I'm going to pray over my own life. And what's the first part of the prayer, number one? That you would know the Spirit. He could have said a lot of things. But one thing he prayed straight away is, it doesn't matter if you don't know the Spirit. If you don't know the Spirit, what's the point of the other stuff? 
Because you're not going to know the truth if you don't know the Spirit. How are you going to know the truth without the Spirit? I'll just Google it. Uh-uh, wrong answer. You can't Google God's truth. Well, I know you can, so don't be funny with some of you like, well, I can. Paul says, I pray that you'll know the Spirit. And again, you shall know the truth, and the truth you know will set you free. It's the truth you know. The word know there, it means intimacy. It literally means the truth you're intimate with. I'm intimate with this to the point where I know what... You're not going to get truth from a lack of intimacy. You'll never get transformation without intimacy. Intimacy was not about your getting your, uh, you know, your lust fulfilled. It's not about you being fulfilling your, uh, your physical needs and wants and desires and whatever it is that you feel like. You know, the, the world tends to go towards perversion because when you go away from God, it will always end up in perversion. You can't get God's original intentions. And, and, and if you go away from God's original intentions, it always goes down. It never goes up. And it always becomes a perversion. Perversion, meaning away from the original version. And so we've got to understand how God works in our lives. But he says it in the first prayer. I pray that you'll know the Spirit. 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 And my prayer today for you is I pray that you'll know the Spirit. Why? Because a lot of the work is already done if you'll know the Spirit. Well, I missed the Bible study that Pastor Mac did this week. You know the Spirit. Well, I didn't get the notes. You know the Spirit. You see, we're reading one letter today. And we've got the concise documentation put together called the Bible. But this generation, they didn't even, the Gospel of John was probably not even written. It's arguable that the Gospel of Mark was already circulating. It's possible. The time frame seems similar from a scholarly point of view, but it's always debatable. Matthew's gospel's probably about to get started. Luke's gospel's probably somehow in early stages. We don't know the time frames exactly, but we have an idea that we can still say we've got some good, uh, appropriate ways of looking at this. At the end of the day, they didn't have what you and I have. You can glance and look at Ephesians and flick your pages and you can get into Romans. You can get into Philippians. You can get into all of this. But sometimes we've got too much and not enough. Because what happens is when you've got too much, you forget what you've got. It's amazing when you've got not much that you seem to appreciate what you've got. But suddenly you accumulate, you accumulate, you accumulate, you accumulate. You've got all these things. My wife thinks I've got too many jackets. She says, you only need one. Yeah, but that's a different color. I need a variety of colors. I'm in a blue mood today. You're always in a blue mood. Well, I like blue, all right? Get over me. I feel so judged. Gosh. But listen to me, listen to me. At the end of the day, when you have lots of things, I wonder how much anything means anything. People can be good at lots of things, but never really great at anything. And I think sometimes our challenge for us is, is we've got access to everything, but I wonder how much we actually draw from it. But if all you've got is one letter, I wonder how much you would hold on to that letter. And it all depends how much that letter means to you. If it's a letter from someone you love, no one's getting that letter. How many movies have you seen where the person at war holds on to a picture of their loved one? A letter, a letter, a letter. 
I was watching a Netflix series uh, this week and uh, at the last scene, there's a man who's literally been shot and he's taking his last breath. And because he can't read and write, he literally takes out to his friend who's with him in his last moments of life and he has a letter in his hand that's all old and wrinkly and blood-stained and everything and he pulls out and he says, this is a letter from my, from my wife that was taken from me many years ago. And so the friend he was, uh, um, he gave it to, he was, he's, um, basically could read and write. So he says, could you read before I take my last breath the last words of my wife to me? And so he opens it and the Scotsman with a thick Scots accent reads it and just reads. And everyone in the room that was hardened and war f- you know, fighting and warriors and it's that kind of scene where every hard person in the room heard the letter being read to him. And it was his wife's last words of love to him. And he took his last breath and that was his last thing that he heard. He couldn't read and write, so he gave it to someone around him. But what I'm trying to say to you is, how profound was that moment? How profound is any letter when it's got substance to it? And my prayer is that you and I will once again realize the substance of this one letter. The truth is, all of them have got substance. But if you were to have the most important letter right now, I would say, make this your most important letter. It will not disappoint it will, not del- it will deliver that which it was written for, and that is to help you understand your position, help you understand your stance, and help you understand your calling and your walk. Amen? So let's keep going. He says, if you're going to know anything, I want you to know the Spirit. That's how you get everything. You want to become a follower of Jesus? Spirit. You want to know Jesus? Spirit. You want to know the truth? Spirit. And the Holy Spirit makes you useful to the world, not useless. Amen? So you've got to remember what he's saying here. Number two, what I pray that you will know God better. It's amazing how you can know God better when you know the Spirit. The Spirit will teach you. The Spirit will show you what I have shown you before. The Spirit will bring to your remembrance that which I've said many times. The Spirit. I will not leave you on your own. I will send the Holy Spirit. So that you will know my Father's intentions at every hour, at every second, at every moment. You see how strong this letter is? And how many times we browse it, forget it, ignore it. Pastor Mark, would you pray for me? No, not until you read the book of Ephesians. Come back after you read that letter. I guarantee most people won't come back. Why? Either they read it and they have no problems anymore, (laughs) meaning they still have problems, but you know what I'm trying to say. It wasn't so much. See, in other words, some people, they want their problems fixed easily. They want someone else to fix their problems and say, oh, could you pray because, you know, it's you praying. I'm like, well, my prayer is no better than Priscilla's prayer. Get Priscilla to pray. If you want power, Priscilla in Jesus' name. I'll pray it. She'll sing it in Jesus' name. Amen? I'm only joking, you know. But do you, this is what he says, I want you to know the Spirit and I want you to know God better. So he's saying, if you want to know God better, the key is get the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Hello? Well, my friend's really struggling. Okay, cool. Are you there to help them? Are you helping them with your strength or are you helping them with the strength of Spirit supplies? Oh, you mean I've got to have a relationship with the Holy Spirit to help my friend? You don't have to, but it depends on what you're dealing with. 
Let the mind of Christ come out of your mouth in Jesus' name, amen. Speak life and not just opinion, amen. Soap stuff doesn't always do it. Pop culture doesn't move the the needle in any way in people's lives. You want transformation? Get the Holy Spirit. I pray that you will know God better. If you want to know God better, it's getting the Spirit for your life. Number three, I pray that you will know the truth. It's the truth that you know that sets you free. Are you hungry enough? Are you desperate enough? Or is it all just too casual, too easy? Well, I'll see how it goes. And that's not what God is saying here. He's saying, hey, I want you to know the truth. What's the truth? The truth of who you are. Truth of who you belong to. The truth of what God's doing in Jesus' name, amen. The truth of the eternal. The truth of why salvation matters. The truth of the promises of God for your life and your generations. The truth for healing. The truth for the atonement. The truth for why the temple curtain was torn in two. The truth why all obstacles and barriers have been removed so you can walk freely into the presence of God. How much truth can you handle? And it's the Spirit that leads you to truth. Amen? And number four, that you would know the hope that we have. That you would know the hope. You know when life's not going well, you need to have a greater hope. You need to have a hope that's stronger than the present. And He gives us an eternal hope. A promise that goes beyond our even physical existence. And that's what you've got to remember. He's praying that they would have a, a knowing of the hope. You've got to know that you belong to something bigger and better than this present moment. You've got to know that your story is not just tied up into this complex world right now. This world is disrupted. This world is paying a high price for neglected every corner, every shape. But politics and economy will not solve our deep-rooted problems. We are not natural friends. We are natural enemies. And the only time you've got a chance to win that one out is through the Spirit. Because He's the only one who can take this rich tapestry of wonder and say, you are one. It's the Spirit. Thank you for that response. Number five, that you would know that we are called by God. You know one of my favorite things when I get to meet people, especially in the church context, do you know the call of God's on your life? And sometimes people jump back like, Really? When did that happen? No, I didn't realize that. That's the most profound thing you can say. And someone said to me once, well, how can I say that if, if it's not true? I'm like, hello, if someone's called into the kingdom, they're already called. What do you mean not say it? That's coming out of head knowledge. It's not coming out of revelation. The best thing you should say to your children, the call of God's on your life. The best thing you say to each other, the call of God's on your life. The best thing you should say when someone's about to make a bad choice in a relationship, hey, the call of God's on your life. Why would you do that? I've seen many people wreck the call of God on their life because they're not wise about the relationships they choose. Does that make them evil? No, it just makes them unwise. And any of us can do that, by the way. But the point is, is God wants us to learn. And this is the strength of it. There's a call of God on your life. When you know there's a call on your life, call of God on your life, it's amazing how you will actually push through in levels that you probably wouldn't. The call of God. Listen to me. Choose calling over comfort. Okay, is it nice to be comfortable? But serving God is not going to lead you to comfort. You can't take new ground and see comfort at the same time. But you can take new ground and stay peaceful. 
I can be in a storm and peaceful. Jesus was in the boat with them. Amen? And so you've got to get your theology right, but this one letter, this one letter can get you there. Because he's helping to realize that you can know these things. So good to know that you can know these things. So you can know the call of God. But listen, choose calling over comfort. You'll find God in the calling, not in the comfort. You want more of God? Go for the calling. Live like you're called. Make decisions from calling. Give from calling. Serve God from calling. Advance from calling. Go for a job from calling. Amen. It's amazing when calling is at the forefront. It changes everything. Do it from comfort and it affects your decision-making process. Choose calling over convenience. There's a lot of things when it comes to serving God that's just not convenient. It's just not convenient coming out when there's a storm and it's raining and the trams are on strike. It's not convenient when the Berlin Marathon is shut all the road accesses for you. It's like, oh, well, I'll just stay at home. I'll watch online. Oh, I haven't got the link. Convenience, convenience, convenience. Is that what you want? I want a marriage of convenience. Joyce, would you be my wife conveniently? Now I've turned up the temperature. Now we're getting some response. Sorry I was so slow to get there. I will be a convenient husband for you, Joyce. Let's build a convenient marriage. Let's build a convenient home. Let's build a convenient church. Everything about it is like, oh. Amen? Choose calling over convenience. There's going to be inconvenience, but just settle in your heart. Calling is what I choose, amen? Even if it leads to inconvenience, because I'm telling you, I want to be married. It will be inconvenient. First time Joyce with our child, Isaac, inside the womb. Joyce is at the sink, middle of the night. I'm there right by her. Calling. <laughs> Second child at the sink, Mark's in bed. Convenience. Whether you like my illustrations or not, the point I'm making is when we say things, we don't realize what we're saying. You want to be married? Welcome to inconvenience. You want children? Welcome to inconvenience. You want to invite your, your studies and become, go from a bachelor's to a master's? Inconvenient. You want to go from master's to a PhD? Inconvenient. Everything about progress doesn't equal convenience. You want to move from one country to another to build your future? Inconvenient. You want to go for a visa process? Inconvenient. You want to go to a church where it's convenient or inconvenient? What makes the decision is calling. Choose calling over comfort. Choose calling over inconvenience. And the final one here is choose calling over culture. Choose calling over culture. The calling says be generous. Maybe the culture says hold back. It's incredible how we can choose culture over calling. But let me tell you, you will always live below what God intended by choosing culture over convenience. Everyone's got a culture. Everyone comes from a culture. But 
God has a culture too. And God calls us into his culture and he says, make your culture subservient to my culture. Can you do that? And you do that through things like water baptism, things like tithing, some things that you don't even fully understand, but these are kingdom culture things, amen? And that's what you're doing. You're moving from the old into the new. And that's where the transformation is. And by the way, that's where God is. So if you want God, choose calling over culture. Because that is what makes God amazing to people. Amen? You can just, while I'm moving over there, but I'm just going to find my culture. Well, that's fine as a starting point, but that's not going to bring transformation. All that's going to do is keep you in your small window of silo. It's a small window of, I'm in control. I, I'm, not, I'm not really changing. I'm not really growing. I'm just staying within this. But God always causes us to come out of this which we're familiar with. That's why when our children are born and we love them, we feed them, we nurture them, we carry them, we drive them to school and we pick them up and we give them ice cream and we tell them again they're amazing. And then they get past puberty and they start drifting away from us and we're like, no. And they're drifting now to, oh, my parents are there and my friends are here. What did you say? What did you say? And the parents go into a prayer down meltdown. Pray for my son. Pray for my daughter. Pray for us. And God wired them to leave. God created it so that they could leave. And not immediately, thank God. But they have to step out of your values into a process of they're going to have to figure out their own values. Call it whatever you want, teenage years, preteen, whatever. At the end of the day, they're getting ready for the future. And they're not going to do it. My daughter, I remember, she's got a sense of awareness of danger I'm her dad. Don't you come near me. Taxi, back down right now. Cyclist, get back right now. You, get out of the way in Jesus' name. My daughter, don't you even think about it. Taxi, back in Jesus' name. This is just me taking my daughter to school. It's like a war zone trying to get your kids safely to school. All these things coming in like predators. Dad, the protector, is like, Got her safely school. And then it starts all over again coming home. But I remember the day I, told, I pulled back. I pulled back. We were cycling. I pulled back. And I just want to watch out. And there was an intersection going down bike lane and all of these intersections, cars coming from this way, this way. And I remember I thought, I'm going to pull back, just let it go a little bit further. And I remember what happened is a taxi came this way and she was ahead of me. I had no way I could get to her in time. I was that far back. Not too far, but not too close. And I watched her look and adjust and carried on like nothing had bothered her. And I went, job done. <laughs> what did I observe? Her sense of awareness of danger. If I do that for her, she's never going to develop it for herself. And God knows how to do this for every single one of us. And I need you to know that this is what Paul is praying. You know you're going to go through some rough waters, but I want you to know God. You know you're going to have some challenges, but I want you to know the truth. You know it's not always going to go your way. Sometimes the winds change, but I want you to know that the hope you have is eternal. 
He is speaking depth and breadth at every corner of their lives. And he says, I want you to know the call of God is going to keep you when everyone else is falling away. And then he gets on to verse 6. He says, I want you to know the blessing that God has promised you. His blessings will keep you. His blessings will surround you. His blessings are forevermore in Jesus' name. Keep your eyes on the blessings. Keep your eyes on the promises of God in Jesus' name. Amen. And the final one, he says, and I want you to know God's power for your lives. The same power that raised Christ from the dead is the power that you can know. Do you know this power? Do you know the resurrection power? He was dead and he came to life. Sin has been defeated. The grave has been defeated. Death has been defeated forever. That power is in you. That power is on you. Stir up the gift of the Spirit that is in you. It's like a little plant. Water it, nurture it, love it. But let me know. This is what Paul says. I want you to know these things. And this is just the first chapter. And if you want to break down this letter into something for you and I today as an important letter, he says 36 times, remember where you live. In Christ. You don't live in Berlin, you live in Christ. You might be geographically, physically here, but you're in Christ. The second thing he highlights here is remember you're called by God. So make sure you conduct yourself with the calling. Amen? Act like a called person. And the third thing he says remember you're gonna have to fight. Stand in victory and fight with the armor of God upon you. Chapter 6. That's when we get the armor of God. He says, now you're in Christ. Now you've got a call. You're going to have to fight every step of the way. And this is how you fight, not just with the armor, but with this prayer. I will know the Spirit. I will know the Father. I will know the truth. I will know His plans and purposes in Jesus' name. I will know His promises in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 He's an anchor to my soul. Amen. Can we sing that in Jesus' name? Amen. But this is what God wants you to know. And this letter will not disappoint. If you just read this one letter, it would not disappoint. Amen? Amen. You never know anything else, this letter will not disappoint. So don't run around all the letters. Just stay here for a while and watch what it does to your spirit. Watch what it does to your faith. And you will come back and say, Pastor Mark, spiritual formation in this church is amazing. Wow, I am growing like never before. Wow, you didn't do all the work. I actually took responsibility myself. Wow. And I didn't just do it on my own. My friends are in this together. We're loving it. We can't get out of Ephesians. We're loving it in Jesus' name. That's what the house of God looks like because that's way more healthier than all sometimes the other stuff that we inherit. Amen. So come on, let this letter come alive in your life in Jesus' name.